Chapter Twenty Four of The Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Magnificent Distances. There never was a more excited boy than Robert Fenton, as he sat in the doorway fanning his flushed cheeks with his hat and in full tide of talk with his mother while she picked over a large dish of blackberries. It was perfectly splendid, mother. Oh, grand! Everybody says so and I can't tell you anything about it. I think it is just a shame that you didn't hear him. Well, why did they put a grand lecture at such a heathenish hour? I thought we might better miss eight o'clock in the morning than any other hour in the day. That is just where you make a mistake. Some of the grandest lectures there will be on these whole grounds are to come at eight o'clock in the morning. I heard ever so many say so. And they began this morning. Why, all the philosophy lectures come at eight o'clock. I'm going to them, too. Chautauqua isn't like any other place in the world. But people at Chautauqua eat just as they do in other places. In fact, I believe they eat a little more here than anywhere else. And somebody has got to prepare food for the body. Oh, well, it's mean to have you, mother, missing things for the sake of getting folks something to eat. I just wouldn't do it. You and Caroline aren't the ones. Let the folks attend to those things who can't appreciate the lectures. Let— He lowered his voice considerably, and bent his laughing eyes closer to his mother as he completed the sentence. Let Effie Butler and Amy Allison and that set get the dinners. Only I wouldn't want to eat them. I don't believe they know how to get dinners, do you? A warning shake of the head was the only answer he received to this saucy speech, and he continued in louder tone. Well, I would buy lots of bread and milk and blackberries, and let people live on them while the meetings lasted. That's what I would do. And who would pick over the blackberries? asked his mother significantly. Give each one a saucerful, and let em pick em over as fast as they eat em he answered quickly, helping himself to a generous handful of the unpicked ones. Anyway, mother, I don't feel one bit reconciled to your losing things. I think it is just horrid. Mrs. Fenton gave that wistful little sigh as she said, After all, Robert, I presume I did not miss much. You see, I know almost nothing at all about astronomy, and it is not likely that I should have understood much of it astronomical lectures are for those who have studied the science i beg your pardon mother but so far as this one lecture is concerned you are mistaken i don't know anything about astronomy either at least i didn't before i heard this lecture i know a little now but i understood almost the whole of it you see bishop warren knows so much about the science that he can afford to talk so that people can understand him and he made everything just as plain as sunlight. Father liked it, and he says he doesn't know anything about astronomy, but he said this lecture was the grandest thing he ever heard in his life. But then father is different from some people. He understands things. While we were walking home, he explained something to me in that lecture that I didn't get at all. He made it just as clear." The mother looked up from her blackberries long enough to bestow a very bright and tender smile on her boy. There was nothing that her loyal heart liked better to hear from his lips than praise of his father. He was looking at her with thoughtful eyes. 
there's a great difference in folks he broke forth suddenly some of the boys in our circle can't get their fathers and mothers to have anything to do with it ned holcomb says his mother says it is just an excuse to have a good time just think how you and father have taken it up and pushed it all the time i tell you what it is i don't believe there are any more mothers and fathers like mine foolish boy trying to flatter his mother she said but her voice trembled and her eyes shone with something besides a smile and never was flattery more sweet to a human heart it is true he said stoutly if you knew the mothers that some boys have huh! and the contemptuous sniff with which they were dismissed told volumes it was too mean not to have heard that lecture he declared returning to the subject of his thoughts mother there were some of the grandest things in it i will tell you what he understands besides astronomy he understands boys then he is a wise man said the mother laughing well he talked about how boys like to manage things they began he said by managing the cat and the dog mother don't you remember how i used to make that old caesar of mine go back and lie down in the stable when he wanted to follow me awfully think of making a caesar mind you he said a boy tingled with power to his fingers ends i know that's true there are some things that i'm sure i can do when i get hold of a piece of work if it is hard there is something inside of me that sort of makes me keep at it until i conquer it then just as soon as i can do it i want to try something else what has all that to do with astronomy why it is an illustration you see of the power that is in people and of the fact that they were meant to be conquerors mother do you know how particular they have to be with their astronomical clocks if one of them gets out of order and goes to gaining two seconds a week it has to be fixed that is each second must be made to take one three hundred thousandth part of a second more time doesn't that make you dizzy not at all said mrs fenton laughing for i am sure i should never undertake to do it everything about astronomy has to be so perfect continued the young enthusiast oh i must tell you about the cincinnati observatory you know what a dirty smoky old city that is they had to move the observatory way up on another hill somewhere to get rid of the smoke and the man in charge of the great telescope discovered that the lens was perfect in the middle and wrong all around the edges now what do you suppose made that i haven't the least idea said mrs fenton reaching for another dish of berries well you never would imagine the smoke gathered on the glass of course and it had to be wiped off they used the softest leather and brushed it from the centre then the edges had to be rubbed a little and though it was done so gently and carefully that little bit of rubbing had worn the glass so it was not perfect enough for science what do you think of that i think it must be very hard work to keep everything up to such a state of perfection i'm glad that my work doesn't require such precision yes but mother only imagine what precision there must be up in the sky oh i'll tell you all about one thing that you would have liked astronomy teaches people that things are often different from what they seem don't you know how often you tell me to look into a thing and see whether i don't change my mind about it after i have studied it carefully 
well now i never thought of it until this lecturer mentioned it to-day but do you know the sun looks as though it rose in the morning and set at night and the earth was sort of hemmed up inside of it and we all inside of it suppose we knew nothing about astronomy what queer notions we would have of things oh mother i wish you could have heard him talk about speed he began with a horse said the horse who could only go a mile in two minutes and forty seconds was a very slow one i'd be contented with a horse who could go as fast as that then he talked about the steamers said we packed the strength of six thousand horses into them and they could go twenty miles an hour and keep at it day and night and the railroad train could go sixty miles an hour and make us dizzy with the speed with which the telegraph poles whizzed by us and then mother he said think about the car in which you have been travelling ever since you were born and imagine it going at the rate of a thousand miles a minute he said that if we could set up poles two miles apart we fly so fast that they would seem as close together as our fingers mother can you think of anything so fast as that and oh do you know how fast light travels it goes one hundred and eighty-six thousand miles in a second i knew that before but i never realized how fast that meant until i heard it compared to-day some way mother he took the facts that all schoolboys have learned and spread them out and sort of did our thinking for us or no that isn't it set us to doing it for ourselves i can't put the thought into words but only think of the time it would take a streak of light to make a journey around the world do you suppose it could do it in a minute in a minute said his unwary mother why no of course not then did young robert throw back his head and laugh merrily it can do it eight times in one second eight times around the world while you are picking up a blackberry mother we can't even think as fast as that can we that's what he said that we could not appreciate it and yet astronomy trained our minds so that we are able to grasp such great truths mother you know we came almost a thousand miles to chautauqua and don't you remember how tedious the journey seemed all that hot afternoon and how tired you were i should think i did was the mother's hearty assent yes and the stanfords and burtons and some of those people told us it was too far to come for a few weeks i do wonder what they would have thought if they had heard the lecture this morning he illustrated the distance of the planets by imagining a little child starting from chautauqua to take a journey to the sun he put him on an express train and away he went miles and miles and miles leaving the world behind time passed and he grew to be a big boy then a middle-aged man then an old man travelling travelling all the time by and by he was seventy years old and died his journey not half done then he started another from that point a child growing up to manhood to old age flying along on that express train for seventy years then another then another starting from the point that that one would reach when he was seventy and then another and another and three hundred and fifty years after the train first started that flying express train that never stopped for wood or water or to take on passengers three hundred and fifty years afterwards that train has not reached the sun and yet he says that the distance from the earth to the sun is just a unit of measure a unit of measure repeated the bewildered little mother
why yes like a foot rule you know if i had a foot rule i could measure and say it was so many feet from this door to that corner cupboard well they use the distance between the sun and the earth like a foot rule such a star is so many distances from the earth to the sun oh she said and she looked admiringly at her handsome boy he was capable of explaining to his mother what he knew himself yes and he says this express train might fly along on a smooth track for six thousand years and reach neptune and there the sun would be shining away and yet we could travel on it so far as to lose sight of the sun altogether mother what a little speck of an insignificant thing this world is what a wonderful god to have made all the other worlds this said caroline as she dropped potatoes into the bubbling water and stooped to look after her roast in the oven she had come from the little pantry at one side where she had been listening to this second edition of the morning lecture oh caroline said the eager boy you heard it didn't you wasn't it glorious yes i was thinking a few minutes ago about that how wonderful god the planner of it all must be i don't know what mr monteith would say to that lecture i saw him taking notes i should think he must suppose that god was capable of doing anything if he believed what the lecturer said perhaps he doesn't believe there are any stars said caroline quietly caroline said the astonished robert what do you mean why there is no telling what heights of absurdity a man may reach who is as fond of saying i don't believe as he is he doubts the existence of facts which are just as clear to me as the stars and i thought possibly he might be star-blind also is mr monteith an infidel asked mrs fenton in a voice of dismay this inconsistent little mother who wanted the best for her boy who was so firm a believer in the existence and the power of the goodness of God that she shrank with horror from having her boy come in contact with one who doubted, yet did not in any way acknowledge her allegiance to him or obey his plain commands. "'Oh, I don't know what he is,' said Robert restlessly, shrinking from any condemnation of his friend, and yet feeling bound to be loyal to the truth. "'He has some queer ideas,' i don't understand them very well and sometimes it seemed to me as though he didn't i wouldn't try to understand them robert spoke his mother earnestly if he does not believe in god he is not a good man however much he may know the god whom your grandfather followed all his life is one in whom you ought to trust but robert nestled uneasily and let his mind rove over certain specious objections that Mr. Monteith had suggested, and among other things he thought to himself, If mother believes in him, why doesn't she serve him? If the mother had but known that such were her boy's thoughts. After a moment of grave silence, the boy seemed determined to throw off all troublesome thoughts, and returned to his present hobby oh mother what bishop warren said about powerful things was so wonderful he spoke of the power of an earthquake how it could shake down a great city or a section of a continent how it could bring the sea rushing over the land and then throw it back into place again 
but he said that all these million worlds that went flying through space were carried so steadily that not a baby was ever wakened in the night by the jar, nor a bird unnested from its bough by the trembling. Did you ever hear anything sweeter? And yet some people are foolish enough to doubt whether the God who made them takes any care of the worlds now. It was Caroline's voice again, and it seemed to startle the boy and make him think, whether he would or not. She came now and sat down for a moment beside the two, her fork and cooking-spoon in hand. "'You have given your mother a capital synopsis of the lecture,' she said. "'Now let me read you some of the closing thoughts which I copied from Mr. Master's shorthand notes. They are the grandest, I think, in the whole grand lecture.' yet there are powers within me to which worlds give no satisfaction can you lead me to a knowledge of the author of all these not only tell me there must be infinite wisdom and personality but can you reveal him alas no said science man cannot by searching find out god and then we cry aloud to religion and say can you bring me through the grandeur of the great and glowing temple to the individuality that made it all and religion answers, Yes, I can wake powers within you, at which new worlds shall rise, new orders of being shall appear, principalities and powers, rank on rank, and sights that I hath not seen. Holding, then, to science with one hand, the left hand, we give the right to religion, and cry, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things, more wonderful than the shining worlds can tell." Obedient to the promise, religion does waken faculties within us, does fit our eyes to the beholding of more wonderful things. These great worlds, blazing like suns, die like feeble stars in the glory of the morning, in the presence of this new light. The soul knows that an infinite sea of love is all about it, throbbing through it. Everlasting arms lift it, and it bathes itself in the clear consciousness of a father's love. Then does the soul know that these bright stars, at infinite distances, are only the golden stairs by which thought climbs into the space where it may find God, and this wonderful intellectual being, and the thrill of its power, is only the infancy of that being that shall be perfect and eternal. She read the impassioned sentences well, and then went back to her cooking without comment. Listening to Robert as he gave his glowing description of the wonders of the morning, she believed that his brain was keen enough to grasp the thought she wanted him to hold fast without further pushing. But I think her cheeks would have glowed with indignation had she heard Kent Monteith's comment made to the boy Robert. He mars his otherwise matchless eloquence by putting in those platitudes at the close. Two forces were at work during these days in connection with Robert Fenton. Whatever spirit possessed Kent Monteith, whether he was fascinated with the boy's keen intellect and wanted to see how far it would reach, or whether he was merely thoughtless, certain it was that he was doing much to undermine the faith in which the boy had unthinkingly rested hitherto. Meantime, Robert Masters had apparently resolved on cultivating young Robert's acquaintance. He constantly sought him out, offered him books to read, discovered his favorite studies, and talked with him about them, not from away above him, as the boy recognized always that Kent Monteith stood, but more as a companion, 
and yet a helpful one, who had lived more years with wide-open eyes, and was, therefore, in some respects ahead. Robert liked it, this meeting him on a certain equality, and Kent Monteith had a dangerous rival in his affections. The more so, because he, though invariably good-natured, was also invariably selfish, giving attention to Robert when it pleased him to do so, and gracefully shaking him off when it suited his fancy to do that. On the contrary, Robert Masters studied opportunities for serving him and giving him pleasure. He loved the woods, and so did the boy. He was wise in woods lore. Knowing a hundred things of which the boy knew nothing, it gave him pleasure to impart. He knew the lake every foot of it. He was at home with the fish, and he planned certain fishing excursions, some of them by moonlight, in which they fished and talked. And the elder fisher did more than talk. He watched, aye, and prayed, for he was fishing for a soul. End of chapter 24